Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Brace of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, it's just John. John is riding solo. Michael is out. He's got some family business to take care of. And John is holding down the fort and he's going to just give us a tremendous overview of some of the most important, at least in my opinion, some of the most important things that Copper Beach uh, teaches their clients and works with them on. So let's welcome John to the show. Good afternoon, John. How are you? Hello, Eric. Oh, I'm excited. I, I geek out about this kind of stuff. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, this is, this, this is the, we think the most important part of wealth planning from our perspective. And, and there's a bunch of articles that are out there that discusses the same issue about communication to family members, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to take you through today how we approach it at Copper Beach and the documents we use to help families through setting these particular um, legacy letters and mission statements up. So uh, with that, uh, we could probably jump right in. Do you have anything you want to ask me off the, off from the beginning? Well, I, you know, my, my biggest thing is kind of what the family's reactions are. I mean, you, you sent me some samples of mission statements and uh, more importantly, or more specifically financial mission statements that families do. You also sent me some samples of some legacy letters and some planning that you do with your families to teach them these processes how do they receive this? I mean, because I think I would be thrilled to be honest with you. If, if somebody took the time and said, Hey, this is how we want to help you communicate with your family, because that's, that can be a really tough part of this in any financial situation is, is talking about it. Yeah. When we introduce this through our conversation with our families, it, it's not a surprise to, to, to most of them because they've thought about similar approaches to keeping their kids in the loop. But you and I both agree, Eric, a lot of the, older generation are reluctant to share their wealth assets with their family members, especially their children, because they think it's going to spoil them or it's going to do something that's not going to put them in the right direction. And we fight through that and we get them to a position where, where we educate them on, if you look at the facts, if you look at the facts, why wealth gets pretty much lost every third generation, if you look at the stats, it's not because of bad planning per se or uh, taxes or or bad wills and trusts. It's really a breakdown in communication amongst the generations. And we see that very clearly when we get involved with families. They really don't talk to each other about money or they don't talk to uh, each other about their responsibility about money or what's going to happen to it at the end of the day or what is it going to look like our family 100 years from now. They just don't, they don't work in that environment. So again, if you, if you hear any of our podcasts uh, in the past, we, we come from a strategic positioning as act as that family CFO. And part of our responsibility is to connect those generations. That's our, that's our mantra. That's what we live with. So we start with a discovery on putting things down in writing mm -hmm. or having the children understand mom and dad or grandma and grandpa's wishes on what they want to do with their wealth. And we start with a common term, which is called a mission statement. It's simple for people to understand that concept mm -hmm. because if you, if most of them are business owners and most of them have mission statements for their companies, they, sh they put their, they put them on their walls and their employees live by it. And, and they're, uh, they're accustomed to that concept. 
But but strangely enough, they don't have a mission statement for their family. And as this wealth transfer, whether it's a business asset or financial assets, real estate, whatever it might be, there's no direction. There's no there's no focus on where that all goes when you look at the generations. So so this this mission statement starts that process of bringing everyone together and being on the same page. And there's a purpose here, and that's really where we start with. What's the purpose of this mission statement? And it's really designed for let's get on the same page. Mm-hmm. What's the, what are we trying to accomplish with our wealth, with our companies, with our real estate, whatever it is? What are we doing with it? And if you don't, if you don't, if the kids don't understand, or the grandkids don't understand what's there, or 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 the importance of those assets to the matriarch or patriarch of the family, it gets lost. So we try to get people focused on what's the purpose of this statement. And first thing first, we talk about the assets themselves and what they mean to the family and where the sources of wealth come from. Now, that's an interesting conversation because most of the families, as I said earlier, they, they don't share with their, their children about the, the magnitude of the wealth. Mm-hmm. And I joke with the ball. I said, listen, your kids know how rich you are. Yeah, you drive three cars and you live in four houses and you have a very successful company. So they know you're rich. But what they don't understand is what it all means to you as the creator of this wealth. Yeah. So by starting with the source of the wealth, you begin to educate the kids on what that means. What are the sources of the revenues coming from? Where's the income coming from? Where, where are the assets and how are they owned? So we start with that very simple breakdown of the assets. We kind of build a balance sheet around the assets. Then we move forward into more of a philosophy as it relates to what the family's philosophy could be, should be, or might be. Hmm. So mom and dad carry that conversation. Here's how we view our wealth, guys and girls. We think the business is the most important asset we have. It generates the revenues that we live on. But ultimately, we have to do something with this business. So, So what's our philosophy with... Once we take these assets and move them forward, what's our what's our vision? What's our what's our philosophy about managing this wealth? So it, it forms an interesting conversation because you usually get things like, "Dad, Mom, I didn't know that," or "We I didn't know we had that asset," or "You know, I want to know more about real estate. I I want to understand more about it." So you start getting the kids involved with asking questions back to Mom and Dad about that philosophy, and they start to share a commonality of where they all want to go. And there's differences. Don't, don't get me wrong, wrong, Eric. There are differences because mom and dad come from a different generation than the kids do. So we try to blend, we start to blend the generations together to get on the same page as far as a, a philosophy of, of, the, of the wealth in the family. And Make sense? The, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I wanted to say about this is through the podcasts that we've had before, you've discussed, you know, a family run business. Sometimes, uh, you know, two or three kids that are not involved in the business. Maybe they just did not follow in the parents' footsteps or uh, one of the parents' footsteps if they own the business specifically. And so the the business is going to be sold. When when dad is ready to retire, mom is ready to retire, they're both ready to retire. The business is going to be sold. They're going to be setting up trusts. They're going to be doing all sorts of different things. And so it doesn't necessarily, or the f- philosophy doesn't have to necessarily revolve around the business and how the money was made. It's now, what here's where the money came from. Regardless, this is where the money is at now, and this is what we believe the money should be doing for us as a family and Correct. for the next multiple generations. So I think it's beautiful that you can build it both ways because maybe you do have kids that are in the business and they will be the succession plan for the business 
And that will be the continued philosophy of that, you know, of that business and of that wealth generation. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very, very flexible for each family. And, and it sounds like it's a very interesting process. How, how long does it normally take a family to begin writing this, this specific mission statement? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. Sometimes it takes a while. And, and the reason why it takes a while, because the first step in this process is getting to educate the kids mm -hmm. through our family meeting about this is the next step that you're going to be responsible to help mom and dad with. So to try to get everyone together on the same page, try to get everyone to understand what, what, what their input's going to be or could be, you know, there's a lot of family dynamics go on where some kids don't want to say something and the other one of the stronger personalities are, are, are the ones that's driving the conversation. So it's just trying to get everybody to be comfortable with starting the process. And once that process gets started, the dialogue starts. Now, one of our families just recently had a, a webinar with their kids where they, they, they got on the phone and said, listen, we got to get this mission statement finished. We're going to focus on the philanthropic piece today. So they sometimes segment their discussion in, in pieces of the mission statement and they focus on it. And, and that, that could take six months. That could take sometimes a year or sometimes in a few weeks. It really depends on the family. But once that all gets put together, we write up a document and ultimately everybody has to sign off in the document that this is what we all agree on. The, this is what we all decided that this is going to be in this document. And we monitor that document on a yearly basis. But it, but it's a very interesting dialogue, and I'll back. I relate back to your your uh, comment about the business owner, because a lot of our clients, most of them are business owners, and their kids do want to take action in the business. They do want to become part of that business, mm -hmm. which throws a whole different dynamic when it comes to what happens when mom and dad die, who's who runs everything, and what responsibility the other children have who might not be in the business. So you got that equalization conversation. You have what input. Do every all the family members have? So it's a, it's a whole interesting focus. But the bottom line to this is, if you don't put anything down, if you don't build some kind of a process, it's a nightmare. So this is a first start to try to get it on track and keep it on track, and making sure that everyone agrees that track is going to the same destination. And and it's all for that, believe it or not, financial independence in a way where mom and dad have this wealth. And if the kids manage this wealth the right way, it could really generate a lot of wealth for them and their kids. So it perpetuates through the generations. So that that's part of their focus on how do I continue to compound this wealth now that I control it as an heir? Uh, how do I how am I how am I responsible for this? What what is my role? Is we'll talk about the legacy letter in a second. Mm -hmm. But this is a major part of this this uh, mission statement where everybody's thumbprints on it. Everybody has an input to this agreement. Everybody has to agree on the philosophy. Everyone has to agree on the focus on the planning itself generationally. Not they all agree 100%, but they have to agree that, yeah, this makes sense. I'm on board. Let's, 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 let's put this in place. Now, the next question we usually get asked, well, can we change it? Well, of course you can change it. Mm -hmm. As families get together, you can change or modify this document any way you want. Uh, we have clients that just, just re redid theirs from five years ago because things changed in their families. And we got together in the family meeting and the kids talked about uh, emphasizing something different. And by the way, it was all philanthropy in this particular family. Mm -hmm. So it was a very, very interesting seg segment into changing how they viewed for philanthropy and they changed it. And they gave more away to charity than, than they did in the past. 
So it's a very it's a very moving, dynamic process. Uh, and again, and the fact that we monitor it pretty much every other year, we bring it up, we ask if there's any edits, any changes, and usually that there aren't that many significant changes. But we do talk about it on an, on an annual basis. If that, if that makes sense, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, anything that encourages communication in a family, uh, I'm all for. So, I mean, I love this. I, I told you I was going to geek out on this. <laughs> I just <laughs> love hearing about it, and I, I think it's it's fantastic. So, the the legacy letter is the kind of the next logical step that we're going to be talking about, and that even seems more in depth. Yeah, that's that's probably probably the most important document that we get involved with, although the mission statement is extremely important, but that's more on a global basis. Mom and dad, the kids get, get together and they, they form this vision for the family. But what, what misses sometimes in that is that the, how do I put it this way? Mom and dad are alive when this mission statement gets created. So they're here. So it's, it's, it's not a stress point as if they were not here, if that makes sense to you. Yes. When when the core of the family dies, things change. Yeah. Because where does everyone go? And I relate to my family. I think we shared in one of the original podcasts. Well, my both my all three of my parents died before I was 30. Mm-hmm. And and when you when you look at that concept, well, if everybody the core of the family is gone, which are the parents, who who guides everybody? Where's everyone go? Yeah. What happens to Christmas? How about, how about Thanksgiving? The dynamics change. So getting back to the legacy letter, that's a love letter to the kids. And I'll, I'll reference that, that here's my values. Here's what I hope the trustee accomplishes is with these particular trust documents. Here's how the I believe the income should be distributed. Here's my feelings about how I want to exercise the charitable focus of the family or the foundation where there's a communication between mom and dad as if they were there through this letter, it guides everyone. Now the most important everyone in that process are the trustees and guardians. Mm -hmm. Remember mom and dad pass away. They pass that fiduciary or responsibility to a overseer trustee or guardian to protect the family. They actually become that key element to, to controlling assets. So that's usually not a family member. So think of it this way, Eric, if you were going to appoint a trustee in your trust document, who's that person that you could trust to do that? Now mm-hmm. here, now here's the question we ask our families these days. Is it what advisor do you have in your, in your, in your camp that if I die today, that would help walk down the life of my family down that life, that road life, that that they can guide them, they can give them advice along the way. They could, they could, someone they could trust. Who is that person? So that trustee has that role, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. So the more that trustee understands the wishes of mom and dad, the grantors of this trust, the better off the family is going to be because he's going to act as a fiduciary on mom and dad's wishes. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And and I would assume, and I could be incorrect in this. Uh, but I would assume that this person has a, a pretty strong relationship with the family. Maybe not the entire family, just because of distance and and uh, maybe the adult children don't know them as well. But they're going to have a very strong relationship with mom and dad for probably quite a few years, I would assume. Yeah, and that's that's a very key part of our discussion about who takes that trustee role. I think we've done this in the past with with some conversations about trust. But that that's usually a personal trustee, someone that the family trusts 
they know really, really well. Mm-hmm. But the where the stickiness comes in, as you talked in the past, is when that trustee moves on. What happens? That trustee says, "I don't want to do this anymore," mm-hmm. or they pass away, or they have something, a health issue in their life. Well, who's the next person in line? So when you go out generationally, the stress point is at a hundred years to that. Who do I know? Who do I trust? Yeah. Who, yeah. Who's going to get all this? So you start talking about corporate trustees. That's the, your trust uh, divisions of banks or or trust companies. They're cold parties, I call them. Not that they're cold people, but they're cold parties. They're not close to the family. Correct. So this legacy letter, this mission statement become more important to that scenario because that person doesn't know anybody in the family, but if they had a letter of guidance from the family that they understood the messaging or the understood the wishes of mom and dad, they could better help regulate or distribute or manage the cash flows or the trust assets for the you know for the betterment of the family you know generationally, and that gets passed on to the to the trust departments or that that run the wealth long term. Now I'm talking about you know wealthy families with with you know millions of dollars, but the, but the average family who has maybe a couple million dollars after death benefit gets paid from life insurance, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that has to have guidance to it. So it doesn't matter how rich you are. These these letters, these these legacy letters, and these mission statements create that focus where at least everybody's on the same page, and everybody knows mom and dad's wishes, so things don't go off the rail. I mean, I, I, mean, I see it time and time again where there's someone in the family that just doesn't get it. I, I don't mean to be mm-hmm. negative; they just don't get it. They're either self-centered or they don't. They misunderstood what mom and dad's wishes were. So, so you get this 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 challenge sometimes. But but in the beginning, we spend a lot of time up front with all these kids involved in in the in the admission statement. Th- th- that that happening long term is is going to be hopefully prevented. It's not going it's not going to stumble, like if you don't if you don't do this at all. Yeah. But that legacy letter is really the warmth, it's the heart, it's the values that drive the wishes of mom and dad to the generations. I mean it, that's that's the easy way I could put it. I mean I get a more detail on what's in that legacy letter, but they're customized. You can put anything you want. You yeah. can write it any way you want. So, Eric, if I asked you to draft a legacy letter, what would you write to your children? Oh, way too much. <laughs> I'm long-winded, John. Yeah. I'll be honest. But because I do want to convey, right? I want to, I want to tell them how much I love them. I want to tell them how much they meant to me and how much they, yeah. they mean to me. I want to tell them what, you know, why it was that I wasn't able to drop everything, you know, in a, in a second and and come see them for this or that because I was working right. We talk about where the wealth came from. There, there had to be some discipline to to build and preserve the wealth that I'm passing on to them. Didn't mean that I was an absentee father necessarily, but um, I know that there was times when I just couldn't drop everything and go because I did have responsibilities, and I need them to understand that and see that. Just maybe that's my own personal view, but I think a lot of people out there that are business owners have felt that before. Uh, especially yeah. if they don't have the 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 joy and the the benefit like you do of having your son work with you in the business, be able to see him on a consistent basis. I would love to see my kids more, and I think a lot of people think that way. But this is kind of your your last chance to really tell them how much you care and 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 why you're doing this. I actually want to rewind just for a moment because one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you, how closely do you work with trustees? Because I I would think that that would be an integral part of anybody passing, if you have a, you have clients that pass away and then there's a trustee that's going to be in place and, and help the children, whether they're adult children or, or younger or mixed, 
they I'm assuming they have a relationship with you as well. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. The answer is it depends because how these trusts work is that the trusts are not uh, um, uh, something that, that's going to be focused upon until mom and dad pass. It could be a long time from now. So mom and dad are controlling the trust while they're alive. Mm-hmm. So that trustee that steps in only steps in when mom and dad pass. Now that's a, that could be a brother or a sister or a, a CPA or an attorney. Now we get involved with them. We know who they are. They know who we are. Uh, but this getting back to this legacy letter and this mission statement, they get tied into that. They get copies of all this. So they understand from the legacy standpoint, from the grantor mom and dad, what what role they're going to take when when mom and dad pass away. They get tied into these legacy letters. Like for for example, we did one with a with a family a while back where they were concerned about, well, when do I pay my kids out distributions? Um, how do I make sure that gets done? Mm-hmm. Well, in the legacy letter, you could write out, here's the parameters, Mr. Trustee or Mrs. Trustee, that you should consider giving money to my children for these particular reasons. Mm-hmm. And you can lay those reasons. And again, it's all customized. Now, the trust might say one thing besides that, but the legacy letter re- reflects back to that trust that says, here's what the trust says, but here's in the legacy letter what mom and dad really feel, what they want. So it gives guidance to that trustee and flexibility to say, I can give money up for these reasons and not violate the trust, as an example. Yeah. So we went through a dialogue with a family that it's flexible, but the kids were involved in that discussion. And mom and dad said, listen, we want you guys to have access to as much money as you needed for whatever your objectives, your goals are to take care of the grandkids, to educate yourself or to invest into businesses or to you know, buy assets or whatever. We'll let you access that if you so, so choose. But but do you leave it in trust or do you take it out of the trust? Mm. Now you get into asset protection, you get into some of the dynamics in the trust structure. But generally speaking, the whole legacy letter is designed for not only the kids, the grandkids, but also for those trustees as you're talking about. Everybody gets part of that vision for mom and dad and their values and what they want to try to accomplish. It's yeah. a very, very serious part of what we do all the time. Well, and, and one of the things, we, we spoke about this on the podcast not too long ago, but it was, I don't remember exactly how, I think Michael had a term for it, but really dealt with the fairness issue yeah. between between yeah. children, grandchildren, so on and so forth. So just as a very easy, short example, um, if a couple has two children, let's say one of them works in the business and one of them has pursued education and has decided to become a teacher. Well, if there's an estate of $10 million for easy round numbers, it's nice to be able to look at this and say, okay, if the, if the older child is involved in the business and is earning a very good salary from that, there's no difference in the value of what they're bringing to the table than somebody who is now a teacher. Maybe they're teaching junior high or high school. We know very well that they're not going to be paid you know, very well. <laughs> it's just teachers are not paid sure. well enough, period. And so it, it would be, it's beautiful that this is a document that can say, look, out of that 10 million, we know that older child involved in the business is going to be making a very good salary. And to make this fair, we're also going to be allotting a certain amount going to the other child because they are following their passion. We respect that. We love that. They're, they're serving the community. They're, they're working with children and we want it to be fair to them as well. So their kids and their kids' kids will benefit from the legacy of what we've built here. So it, it's not going to be each person gets $5 million, you know, again, simple math. It's going to be something different so that both families are equally treated. And I think that's a, 
a beautiful conversation to have before mom and dad pass. Right. Oh yeah. You know, and then also to, for it to be reiterated and, and really solidified and, and man, what a gift to both of those children. We know how hard you've both worked and we want to set your children's children up for success uh, and education and following their passions. I, I just think it's a, a gorgeous, gorgeous thing to do for each one of your families. I love it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I and mean, I think we shared before what I did with my family, and I'd be more than happy to be personal for a second, mm-hmm. is that Michael's going to take over Copper Beach. He's my succession to my firm. Mm-hmm. I've all offered a position for both my girls, and, and my oldest said, Dad, I want to write a book. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I don't do math, is yep. what she said. Yep. Funny. The other one runs my Pilates studios in New York. So, so you sit there and you say, okay, well, the girls are not going to get the benefit of what I created over the last 35 years. Michael's going to get the benefit. So in my planning, I structured a trust that allows Michael to put contributions from Copper Beach into this trust. And the girls own two-thirds of the trust. Michael mm-hmm. owns a third. Yep. So whatever he puts in that trust, the girls own two-thirds. So they are getting benefit from Copper Beach, my firm, from a value, not necessarily a market value, but an income value. Correct. Michael puts in that cat uh, in, into the uh, trust. They they share benefits, but the girls know they know exactly what the what the game plan is, and they have no problems with Michael earning because Michael's earned the right, and that's a term I use to take over the business. Yes, He's worked in it twelve years, and the girls understand that, and they're cool with it. So it gets back to the communication to your children, what your vision is, what you're trying to accomplish with the assets. So my family. The, the main asset is obviously my firm, and Michael's going to take that over. But the girls understand that equalization that's going on Absolutely. between Michael funding the trust and taking over the business. But Michael's never going to sell this asset. At least that's what he tells me. Mm-hmm. He's going to keep it running because the asset has more benefit from a cash flow standpoint than it is from a market standpoint if he sold it. So Michael has no intentions of selling it. And somewhere down the road, the girls might Get involved with the business. You never know. They yeah. might say, Dad, Ma, I mean, Mom, Dad, I'm ready. Is Michael okay for me to move in? <laughs> they might, Michael would say, sure, come on in. So it, it's, 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 it's great to see that all kind of gel together, but I'm very fortunate, Eric. My kids are, are great kids. They get along. They don't fight. They love each other deeply. And they got those values that I think my wife and I uh, um, put in place where so they recognize that this is very serious, what we're trying to do. Uh, it's important to, to my wife, Debbie and I, that it, it gets right. And they they understand and respect what we're trying to do, and they work very closely with us to make that make that happen. So it, you keep you have to keep working at it, and you have to keep pushing at it. And it's not always easy, as yeah. I said a little earlier. It's a challenge to get this done the right way, but we stay on it because of our role. We're not we're not a CPA or an attorney or a financial advisor that just does specific things. We act as that overseer, that gatekeeper, that CFO. That our responsibility is to make sure this gets done. Because yeah. that's what we get paid to do. Makes and, sense? And, yes, absolutely. And and you've said it before on other podcasts in, a, in probably a much better way than this, but it's okay that you guys can be the bad guy sometimes. And oh, you're, yeah. you're okay in that role because mom and dad trust you. And if kids, you said sometimes they are selfish. Sometimes they're self-centered. Sometimes they have their own agendas. And the nice thing is, as you've seen that before, you'll see it again. And you're able to say, you know what? Here's what's in mom and dad's best interest. This is what they're looking for. This is what they want. This is what their hopes, goals, dreams are. And you need to respect that. And you kind of bring that to the table in a no-nonsense way and allow the parents to really tell the kids how much they love them. But here's here's how it's going to go. You know, this is what we want for all of you. Uh, because going back to your example, maybe your daughters, their children 
maybe they see what you've built, whether they are able to work with you or not, just being depends on how long you're on the earth, John, but maybe they start to work with Michael and all of a sudden sure. now it's your grandchildren that are taking over the business. Um, and maybe it's Michael's children or maybe it's not Michael's children, but the business continues because the values are there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, I, uh, someone called me about listening to one of my podcasts that you and I did a while back and he, and he's a good friend of mine. And he said, I, I just always loved your passion of what you do. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and it's hard to create passion in someone's life. I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. I have passion to make and make sure this happens with families, but they have to share that same passion to make yes. it work. So our job is to try to create that excitement into building these mission statements and creating these legacy letters because that that relates to that passion of driving all the success that mom and dad created down through the generations because because it's 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 what we want and and drive that that, that passion's got to drive it. And if you find that family member with that passion, that leader, we talked about leadership in yeah. a family in a previous podcast, finding a leader in a family sometimes happens automatically. They just pop up and say, mom and dad, I got it. And that was Michael and my family. Yeah. Not that my girls aren't great girls, but Michael stepped up as I want to do this. I want to make sure this happens. My girls are going to go along with the flow yeah. and they're okay with it. So it's really just balancing the egos Yep. The, uh, uh, the, the human capital we talk about in families, the intellectual capital, uh, the financial capital is going to be there. It's the other couple pieces that no, we're not sure who's going to step up or who's going to take that role, but it's a discovery as you go on in time. Well, John, you've, you've, you can hear the passion in my voice, the excitement. You've, you've definitely given me energy today with this. Again, it's a beautiful topic. We could talk for hours on it. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Um, I'm going to tell all of our listeners if, if you're hearing something today that you're saying, this is exactly what I'm looking for. This is what, this is what I've needed in my family. This is what I've wanted to do. And I just don't know how to execute it. There will be a link in the podcast summary, uh, to, uh, copper beach, the website. So you can contact them. You can reach out and, uh, and start this conversation because it's going to be a beautiful conversation. And the piece that will come with this, I can't tell you because it, They'll send you, I'm sure they'll send you a sample of what it looks like. So you can kind of get a, a better gauge, not just listen to us, but you can read it for yourself. You're going to be shocked at all the stuff that's in here and how beautifully written these things can be. So again, I encourage you to reach out, go to the podcast summary, click on the link and uh, reach out to Copper Beach. John, amazing podcast today. Thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet. And thank you all for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John comes out with a new podcast and Michael will be back too, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 
This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.